Robert G. Allen is a best-selling author and wealth uh, creation guru. He's known to have said, the fundamental level of success is doing hard things first. If you go for the feared thing first, then the rest of the day is easy. And I think there is some truth to that. People often miss out on certain blessings because they are unwilling to do hard things. One of the reasons some athletes achieve greatness is because they do hard things. Greats like Jim Thorpe, Jesse Owens, Jackie Robinson, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, and Michael Phelps all endured hard things to become great. Where many people stop because of pain, the greats persevere because of gain. In Matthew 10, Jesus readies his apostles for the pain of gospel ministry. As his faithful ambassadors, they needed to face their fears, overcome them, and faithfully endure the world's hatred. They would need to endure hard things. But Jesus did not leave them without the promise of great reward, the same promises that help you and me endure the hatred of the world today. So I want to ask and answer the question, how can you and I overcome fear and faithfully endure the world's hatred? None of us likes to be hated. So if we're hated on account of Christ, it's tempting to deny Christ to alleviate pain. So if we're to faithfully endure the world's hatred, to never compromise the gospel, to do the right things, even if they're the hard things, we need to know how and why. And God is gracious to give us the how and why. I have six points to help us uh, think this through. Number one, do not fear the world. Do not fear the world. Jesus said it three times, verse 26. So have no fear of them. Verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Verse 31, fear not. Jesus understood the potential for fear but didn't want his apostles to fear because God would care for them. Fear would make them timid. Fear would slow them down. Fear would tempt them to compromise and to give up. God doesn't want his beloved children to live in fear. So we would expect the Father to give something to help overcome fear. In verse 26, Jesus used the word so. Little words can have big impact in Scripture. So is important. It connects back to what he just said. He had just told them that they would be sheep going out in the midst of wolves, that they would be painfully persecuted and hated on account of him, that, that they would be maligned like him. Scary stuff. But he didn't want them to be afraid, and he gave them reasons. Sometimes Andrew gets scared of the dark. Well, I did when I was a kid, and I still do sometimes. And I don't want Andrew to be scared. And I, I want him really to lay his, his head down on his pillow at night with peace and to sleep soundly and securely. And so when Andrew is scared and I head over to his bedside, I comfort him by reminding him that God is with him, as are his two older brothers and his mommy and daddy are down the hall. And I pray for him, and that helps. And he falls asleep. I don't go into his room and tell him, suck it up and be tough. You know, I give him a truth so that he can think on that truth and find comfort. In Scripture, God frequently tells his people, do not fear. 
Do not fear. But he also tells them why they shouldn't fear. Psalm 118, verses 6 and 7 say, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. As my helper, I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. So Jesus didn't want his apostles to fear, even though they would have to endure scary trials. But being the good master that he is, he didn't say, suck it up and be tough. He gave them promises. What would give them boldness and peace as they were about to get crushed for him? His promises. And we need those promises too. How can you and I overcome fear and faithfully endure the world's hatred? Number two, trust that the truth will come out and the gospel will advance. Several things are going on in verses 26 and 27. First, Jesus said, so have no fear of them. Then he gives a reason. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. I think Jesus is talking about several things here, but essentially making the point that the truth will come out. Every single evil act of their enemies would be exposed. See, God's coming justice comforts those persecuted for Christ. They don't need to worry that anything is being overlooked by their father. Also, the apostles' sacrifice and suffering for Christ would come out. Every good deed done by grace through faith would come out. They would be vindicated and rewarded. Christ would get the glory. Embarrassment and pain are temporary. And glorification with Christ is forever. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. J.C. Ryle explained, they must remember continually that all will be set right at the last day. The purity of their intentions, the wisdom of their labors, and the rightfulness of their cause shall at length be made manifest to all the world. End of quote. Part of the challenge a following Christ is that people will criticize and demonize us and we want vindication immediately. Jesus is saying, have no fear, vindication will come eventually. Good things come to those who wait. The faithful will get the vindication that they desire. The truth will come out that we were not fools for trusting in Christ. But not yet, brothers and sisters, not yet. Then Jesus says, verse 27, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. The apostles were to publicly proclaim the gospel to the nations. Now, at this point in his ministry, Jesus kept much concealed. In chapter 8, he told the cleansed leper, see that you say nothing to anyone. In chapter 9, he told the two healed blind men, see that no one knows about it. Later in chapter 17, he tells Peter, James, and John, after his transfiguration, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. He wanted certain things concealed for a time. But what he taught his disciples in private would eventually be broadcast in, in all the world. 
The private moments with the Savior would become public. Verse 27 is Jesus speaking in metaphor. I've taught you guys in secret, but the time is coming to tell everyone about it. Now, the word proclaim is to announce in an official capacity, to herald, to preach. The town crier was employed to officially and publicly announce news in the street. Jesus gave his authority to the apostles, then sent them out as his ordained agents of the gospel to preach with his authority. The apostles were Christ's uniquely chosen, uniquely called, uniquely equipped, uniquely commissioned, uniquely sent preachers of the gospel. Jesus, really think about this, folks. This is a wonderful point. Jesus lovingly preserved for you and me those intimate moments when Jesus taught his apostles the gospel. Those divine truths, those divine doctrines from the mouth of Christ come to us today in the apostolic witness of sacred scripture, heralded by preachers of the gospel. Verse 27 is being done today when faithful ministers stand in the pulpit to proclaim the apostolic witness to Christ from scripture. The Bible takes us into those intimate settings to hear Jesus teach the gospel. And when we gather together to hear the apostolic witness to Christ preached, we are being taught by Christ himself. Calvin said, in no part of the earth was there ever such thunder heard as the voice of the gospel which resounded through the whole world. The apostles gave voice to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. How can you and I overcome fear and faithfully endure the world's hatred? Number three, fear God and eternal hell. And we need this point today. People don't fear God and eternal hell. People trivialize these truths and yet devote their lives to temporary and insignificant things. I, I think we all should ponder more often the truth that God will destroy the wicked in hell. And here Jesus mentions this point to actually help his apostles avoid the fear of man. Now before we get too far, it's helpful to understand two different kinds of fear. New Testament scholar R.T. France clarified the, dis the, the difference here. He says, two types of fear are here contrasted. Fear of men is a self-interested cowardice, but fear of God is a healthy response of awe and obedience in the face of the Almighty. Two kinds of fear, one bad, one good. In our verses this morning, the fear of God and the reality of eternal hell are actually essential in overcoming the fear of man. Martyrs give their lives for Christ precisely because they fear God and his justice more than they fear men and their hatred. Verse 28, uh, Jesus is saying this now to his apostles as he sends them out into danger to preach the gospel. And this is what he says. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus meant, don't fear the brutality of man. 
fear the justice of God. And they would have known Psalm 47, verse 2, for the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. As the apostles went out to preach the gospel, the temptation would be to feel the heat and to get out of the kitchen. Persecution is scary. Persecution is painful. But to renounce Christ would mean to suffer God's holy wrath in eternal hell. Before renouncing Christ, one must seriously consider the terror of God's everlasting justice. Now let's dig into this. Who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul? Well, people, lots of people. In Acts 12, Herod Agrippa had the apostle James run through with a sword. Martyrdom is real and painful. Real people are killed because of Christ. Kandi Munda lived in India. He was a Mason. He was married with two young children. He was a Christian. People from his village shouted death threats at him in attempts to persuade him to renounce Christ. Even his own brothers and relatives persecuted him. Kandi and Bindu, his wife, were eating dinner and a mob showed up at their house demanding that Kandi come outside. They tried to escape, but Kandi was caught. The mob attacked him broke his ribs and pelvis and beat him till he died. His body was found by villagers in a clearing inside the jungle. No one had reported the incident to the police. And so Bindu went to the police, but see, they were paid off and they did nothing. And do you know what Bindu, our sister in Christ, said when her own father encouraged her to renounce Christ just in order to survive? Our dear sister Bindu said this, I will live for Jesus and die for Jesus, but I will never turn back. And she's in hiding um, with her two daughters. Now, why would our sister Bindu say that? Because she fears God. And to fear God is also to love and adore God. See, fear of his justice accompanies delight in his kindness. If a radical Muslim captures you, holds a sword to your neck and demands that you renounce Christ, let's be honest, that's scary. That is stinking scary. We'd be at least tempted to renounce Christ just to save our own necks. None of us wants to be in that position. We don't even want jokes said about us being Christians. When a sword is held to your neck or a condescending comment is made about you in the break room, there is a temptation to give in to save your own neck or to save face. But brothers and sisters, the worst that they can do is kill our bodies. Painful as that may be, we have the hope of resurrection. But see, we are body and soul. Radical Muslims or the guy at work or any enemy of the gospel may kill, may embarrass, but they cannot kill your soul. We are not to fear men who can only kill our bodies. Instead, in order to be faithful to Christ, we must fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, how do we know that Jesus is referring to God and not Satan? All right, several reasons. God is sovereign over all things. All things exist, and they exist by God's creative power, not Satan's. 
Matthew 25, verse 41 is clear that God prepared hell for the devil, demons, and the wicked. Nowhere in Scripture are we taught to fear Satan or evil. In fact, the opposite is taught in Scripture. Jesus said in Luke 12, 5, But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And then in Matthew 23, 33, Jesus mentions people being sentenced to hell. So I ask the question, who has authority to sentence people to hell? God does, not Satan. God is holy. God is just. God is the righteous judge. Jesus said in John 5, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Hell is judgment executed by Christ. So Christ must be feared. Jesus was unquestionably referring to God destroying the wicked in hell. Leon Morris said, If we are going to be afraid, let it not be of the minor danger that is all that evil people or even Satan himself can bring us, but of the major danger involved in God's holy wrath against evil. So why renounce Christ only to be destroyed by God? Let them kill your body and send you to your loving heavenly father. That's the idea. People cannot kill the soul. The soul is eternal. It can't be killed. But God can destroy the body and soul in hell. Not annihilate. We need to be careful here. Not annihilate, but destroy or ruin or cause to perish in hell forever. The word there is ge'enna. So that's a metaphor, a word picture. Ge'enna was the valley of Hinnom a trash dump outside of Jerusalem that was always burning, a metaphor for God's always burning wrath upon unrepentant sinners. And that is much scarier than having your head cut off or being burned at the stake or laughed at in the break room. Now connect the dots. Understand what Jesus means here. God is clearly the greatest threat so enduring hard things on account of Christ and never renouncing him means having Christ. And the mercy, compassion, forgiveness, grace, favor, and blessing of God, why miss out on that to be destroyed with the world in hell? Now, a would you rather, you ever do that? Would you rather, and then come up with a question, just one makes the point. Would you rather be stung by a bee and then given an ice cream cone or impaled through the heart and put in a coffin? Which would you choose? I mean, that's easy for me. Give me the bee and the ice cream. God is the greatest threat. And if God is for you, what can man do to you that would make you want to forgo God's eternal favor and blessing? What on earth would make us want to turn away from Christ? We are not simply to delight in the love of God. We are also to fear the justice of God. So fear God alone in the fullest sense of that term. Let me ask you, did Jesus fear the scribes, Pharisees, chief priests? Did Jesus fear Judas? What about the mob who came at him with swords and clubs? Pilate? Rome? Who did Jesus fear? Jesus didn't sweat blood in Gethsemane because he was scared of the mob 
or even the physical pain of the cross. He sweated blood because he feared the wrath of God. He, he was about to drink the cup of God's wrath and his soul was distressed and sorrowful because of God. Jesus knew the holiness of God more than anyone, but it was also the fear of God that compelled Jesus to suffer the cross. He was resolved to honor his father at all costs. Remember, Jesus' kind of fear is a healthy response of awe and obedience in the face of the Almighty. No one feared God more than Jesus, and Jesus didn't fear any man. Now, how might this truth comfort and motivate you? Well, if you fear God as Jesus did, your heart will be set on pleasing God, whatever the cost. Colonel James Gardiner was a Scottish soldier who fought in the British Army in the 18th century and was killed in the Battle of Prestonpans. And he said, I fear God, and therefore there is none else that I need fear. When you fear God, brothers and sisters, he frees you from fearing anything else. Now, I confess last week that I fear men. I'm a people pleaser. This is a very dark and destructive sin that distracts me often from being faithful to God. The fear of man is natural for me. And I read this week, freedom from the fear of man comes from fearing the Lord and judge of all people. And I believe that as my fear of God grows, my fear of man diminishes. I believe it works that way. So I have a lot of growing to do. You will not find comfort and assurance for your soul or freedom from the fear of man until you fear God much more than you fear man. This next part is, I think, part of fearing God, included in fearing God. How can you and I overcome fear and faithfully endure the world's hatred? Number four, Draw deep comfort from God's providence and love. Before I unpack verses 29 through 31, do you know what God's providence is? Uh, you really need to know what God's providence is and have that in your heart and in your mind. So I don't think that I can say it better than Article 13 of the Belgic Confession, which gives us application as well. It's a wonderful statement, so just listen to this cogent description of God's providence. It's long, but very helpful. Just take this in. We believe that this good God, after he created all things, did not abandon them to chance or fortune, but leads and governs them according to his holy will, in such a way that nothing happens in this world without his orderly arrangement. Yet God is not the author of, nor can he be charged with, the sin that occurs. For his power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that he arranges and does his work very well and justly, even when the devils and wicked men act unjustly. We do not wish to inquire with undue curiosity into what he does that surpasses human understanding and is beyond our ability to comprehend. But in all humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God, which are hidden from us, 
being content to be Christ's disciples so as to learn only what he shows us in his word without going beyond those limits. This doctrine gives us unspeakable comfort since it teaches us that nothing can happen to us by chance but only by the arrangement of our gracious Heavenly Father. He watches over us with fatherly care, keeping all creatures under His control so that, not, so that not one of the hairs of our heads, for they are all numbered, nor even one, li nor even a little bird can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. In this thought we rest, knowing that he holds in check the devils and all our enemies who cannot hurt us without his permission and will. For that reason, we reject the damnable error of the Epicureans who say that God involves himself in nothing and leaves everything to chance. Now, it would profit you, dear brothers and sisters, to revisit that statement this week, Article 13 of the Belgic Confession. It's on our website. You can find it easily. With that in mind, listen to Jesus. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Meaning of more value to God than many sparrows. For about one sixteenth of a day's wage, poor people could buy two sparrows and have a little bit of meat to eat much different than killing the fattened calf. Sparrows were insignificant, but when one of them fell to the ground, God knew, and it fell according to his will. God cares about little details like sparrows dying. He's sovereign over little events like that. God is sovereign over your choice of socks, the cereal you eat, the grass you dump out after mowing, the nail that you dropped in the garage that rolled under the workbench the parking spot that you didn't get at the store. Nothing happens apart from God's will and design and plan and purpose, even when one of your little tiny eyelashes, unbeknownst to you, falls onto the ground at the grocery store. God knows, God cares, God is sovereign over it. Now, if God cares about sparrows and your hair, whatever you might have, how much more does he care about you? His beloved child, brothers and sisters, God values you way more than all the little birds that he cares for. Jesus used a, a very similar argument here to help his disciples overcome anxiety in Matthew 6, 26 and 27. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So how would the apostles endure the hatred of the world? By knowing that their heavenly Father loved them immensely, loved them forever, and promised to care for them, even in the little details of life until the days that he has appointed are finished. Not even sparrows die apart from God's will. So, if you apply that to the apostles, nothing could happen to them apart from the sovereign timing of their loving Father. 
To, to borrow from Marine Sergeant Jesse Strong, who told me before giving his life for his country in 2005 in Iraq, I'm bulletproof until God calls me home. Going into danger, the apostles were bulletproof until their God appointed time. And that's comfort for those who belong to Christ and suffer for Christ. Now, why did Jesus say, apart from your father? That's well placed. Once again, he reminded his apostles that they belonged to God, body and soul, both in life and in death. God was their loving father. One study note said, since the heavenly father gives constant sovereign supervision, even to seemingly insignificant creatures, surely he will also care for his disciples in their mission to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. I like how William Hendrickson put it. He said, each of these hairs is of some value to him since it is a hair of one of his children. Therefore, apart from his sovereign care and loving heart, nothing can happen even to any of these hairs. That's security, brothers and sisters, in God's sovereign love and grace. You know, when the world hates you, it feels pretty rotten. But it also feels really, really good to know that your Heavenly Father loves you so deeply and provides for you and will preserve you through the hatred of the world for His glory and for your eternal good. We are valuable to our Father. We are valuable to Christ. Now be careful. Todd White is wrong to think that the cross of Christ is not about his sin but about his value. Jesus giving his life on the cross to secure us is not about our value. We were children of wrath. The cross is about the extravagant love of God who makes his worst enemies his children. It's not helpful to think that our value equals what Christ paid for us. It was the infinite debt of our sin which required a payment of infinite righteousness. Infinite righteousness that only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has and could give. We were God's enemies. God valuing us does not confirm our value, but confirms the value of his son who did hard things to showcase the extravagance of divine love so that in Christ we too may have the love of God and be valued. Christ is the value. So why, brothers and sisters, would we renounce Christ in order to please the world who hates Christ when Christ is the means by which we are valued by God? Renouncing Christ is insane. Even when they're about to take your head or just laugh at you and exclude you. How can you and I overcome fear and faithfully endure the world's hatred? Five, Boldly confess Christ knowing that God accepts and loves you because Christ confesses you. Verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. What a gracious reward. That gospel promise motivated the apostles. They would go and confess Christ to the nations and they would be hated for it. But as they confess Christ and as they receive blows for it, Christ would confess them to the Father. And that means that Christ is their advocate before the Father. 
Everyone who acknowledges or confesses Christ before men, whatever the cost, whatever the persecution, Christ will also acknowledge or confess them before God the Father. And there is nothing better. Nothing motivates faithfulness more than the assurance that Christ is confessing you to the Father. Now, Peter, he denied Christ three times. It didn't make him happy. He went out and wept bitterly. And Christ, then later we see this, this is so beautiful. Christ extends him grace and reinstated him. And Peter ends up giving his life for Christ. Why? Because Peter believed, verse 32. Peter believed the words of Jesus. Peter believed that Jesus would confess him before the Father. You see, grace motivates. Grace motivates. Confessing Christ is everything, brothers and sisters. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Christianity isn't a silent trust. 1 John 2.23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. 1 John 4.15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so this is one of the reasons confessing the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed in worship is so helpful. Together, we verbalize our trust in Christ. We confess Christ together. That's what Christians have been doing for a very long time, and it's public. We're doing it here. Listen, none of us here today will escape God's righteous wrath unless Christ confesses us to the Father. So, let me ask you, is Christ confessing you to the Father? And the answer to that is, do you trust in Christ to the extent that you genuinely confess Christ to men? You don't have to be a preacher to confess Christ, but do you confess him with your mouth from your heart? Do it often, and then find comfort and assurance for your soul. How can you and I overcome fear and faithfully endure the world's hatred? Number six, count the cost of denying Christ. Well, it's easy to fear the hatred of the world. It would have been very easy for the apostles in their human weakness, in their flesh, to fear the world. Who likes to be an outcast? That hurts, but following Christ will make you an outcast. So how do we overcome the fear associated with that? Well, if we deny Christ in order to be accepted and loved by the world, Christ will deny us before the Father. It's as simple as that. And that would be most horrible. Verse 32, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That was very helpful to the disciples to know as they're going into harm's way for the gospel. Those are chilling words. And because the apostles uh, loved Jesus, they never wanted to see that happen. And so by grace provided them from God, by the Spirit provided them from God, they confessed Christ to the end. I read this helpful note this week. The eternal consequences for those who deny Christ, in fact, will be far worse than the persecution that they sought to avoid. That brings perspective. 
the eternal consequences for those who deny Christ, in fact, will be far worse than the persecution that they sought to avoid. But something else is true, brothers and sisters. The eternal blessings for those who confess Christ, in fact, will be far greater than any persecution that they suffered. Now, if you're like me, you might think, okay, but I'm so weak. What if when I'm tested, I compromise? What if I pull back in that moment where I needed to stand? What if I'm like Peter? And quite frankly, just to be honest with you and myself, you don't have what it takes to stand. And neither do I. But, but here's the comfort though. Christ has what it takes. Christ has what it takes and he will be strong for you when you are tested. What did Jesus tell the apostles earlier? In effect, guys, when things get bad, don't worry about what to say. God will give you what you need in that hour. The Holy Spirit will speak through you. Trust me. Saints, our comfort is in God's promise to provide us what we need when we need it. Overcoming fear and faithfully enduring the world's hatred is not only possible, it's inevitable when we walk by the Spirit and refuse to gratify our flesh, whatever the cost. So fear God, dear ones, fear God and delight in his love for you and then watch how he preserves you to the end.